Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Take your Bibles this morning. That's where we start. That's where we finish, right? The Word of God. We have nothing else to offer. And so we go to the Word of God because it is more important what God has to say to us than that what we have to say to Him. And so we take our Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and our text this morning will be verses 27 to 31, verses 27 to 31. Paul writes to the Corinthians as the Holy Spirit superintends him, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets and third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we go through our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we again pray that you would be speaking to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit teach us this morning because we know that nothing of value will be done outside of the working of the Holy Spirit as he illuminates the truths of your word to us and as your Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth of your word and then it becomes part of the fabric of our character as we now live out your truth. And so I pray this morning that you would protect your word. Only what is right and true will be heard and I pray that you will encourage us and build each one of us up. And I pray that your church here in Bowmanville will be more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and a better bride for our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about spiritual gifts and we've been really speaking about the idea of unity and diversity unity and diversity and how the, the body is one yet diversified and how each part of the body is necessary for the full functioning of the body. Now, as we sp were speaking about that here in the last couple of weeks, I've been going over what I said from this pulpit and, and I'm, I may have misled you to some degree. And so I wanna make sure that I clear that up because there are times, even though you prepare and you try to speak correctly, there are times where you misspeak. And I think I left you with the idea that there was no difference between spiritual gifts at all. And in my enthusiasm to show you that in every part of the body was necessary and every part of the gifts are necessary, I may have made it as if all the gifts are completely equal in every way. And I might have left you with the impression that there was actually no difference at all. 
But I would suggest to you that though they are equally necessary and they're all necessary, the effect of the gifts are not necessarily equal. And I think that is what we are going to see in our text today, that the effects of gifts are different. And some are more for, better for edification of the church than others. And that's exactly Paul's point that he's going to make in the text here today. There are some things that we should pursue because they edify and there are some things that should, we shouldn't. And so as we read this text this morning, I think we see, that we're gonna, we see a tension as we read through this passage. On the one hand, every member of the body is essential. The health, uh, to the health of the whole of the body, no member is expendable. And really, those members which seem weaker are necessary and vital to the thriving of the body. We need the weaker, the weaker, shall we say, parts of the body. And again, by that, we don't mean that they're, they're not as mature spiritually or anything. We simply mean that they are not as showy. They are not as de demonstrative publicly as others. And in fact, we saw last week that we were actually encouraged to give them honor, to credit them because they're not seen and they're done behind the lines, but yet necessary for the functioning of the body. Yet in spite of the necessity and the vitalness of these for the thriving of the body, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul indicates there are greater gifts, gifts which are given a higher level of priorities, gifts which play a significant role in the building up of the body. So there is this tension. We've been emphasizing unity and diversity. And again, the essential nature of every active member of the body. And yet there is a priority built into the gifts. Of course, the underlying issue with the Corinthians were that they were not prioritizing the gifts properly. And this is exactly what this whole discussion is about. In fact, the gift that they esteemed highest and the one that they thought was the greatest was actually useless. It was, it was sorry, was actually useless. It was certainly spectacular but on its own, it had no ability to edify. It was spectacular, but on its own, it had no ability to edify. And of course, we're speaking of the gift of tongues. And this is what he's going to speak about as he gets farther into chapter 13 and 14. They were putting an emphasis on tongues. And again, the tongues is that supernatural ability to speak, wait for it, a human language. A human language that they had spent no time, no effort in learning and acquiring. And it's really too bad that our translations have not just put it that way. I don't know why they say tongues. They should just say languages. Because that's exactly what he's saying. They haven't done us any service by saying tongues. Glossaia is a language. 
a known language. We saw in Acts chapter 2, they heard them speaking what? In their language, human language. And so, it's certainly, speaking in tongues was certainly a clear demonstration and manifestations of God's spirit. It certainly was a demonstrative movement of the spirit. But unless you understood the language, that manifestation of the spirit had zero edificational value. It could not build up the church. It could not build up anyone. It couldn't even build up the person who was speaking in tongues because he didn't know what he was saying. So how could it be of any edificational value? It had no value at all. And why is that? Because edification requires what? Comprehension. You have to be able to understand it, to be edified. Right? That's why we, we come and we, we hear, hear the word of God. And that's why we need it to, to be spoken clearly and precisely and in our language and logically. Because we need to understand it. Because we cannot, compre if we can't comprehend it, it's googly gawk and there's nothing we can do with it. And so it has to be put into a language and in a way to under, that we understand it so that we can ultimately what? Be changed by it. Right? When Romans talks about the renewing of the mind, that's what it's talking about. It's not, it's not this blank slate. The idea is you have to think it through. Christianity appeals to your mind. And so here are the Corinthians. They're just, they're going after tongues, a gift of tongues, which was entirely dependent upon what? Another gift. It was useless in and of itself. If you didn't have an interpreter, if you had no one who could actually interpret it, it was useless for edifying the church. And ultimately, it really minimizes the importance of the gift of tongues. So since really it is only the interpretation that really what matters? It's the interpretation that edifies, not the tongues themselves. And that's why in chapter 14, Paul prioritizes prophecy, right? He says, I would rather that you prophesy and have the gift of prophecy and make it a priority because it's of greater value to edify the church than speaking in tongues. That's why he says, I would rather speak in, some, in a couple of words that you comprehend than, than the what? Than, than in the language of angels, if I was to speak in tongues in many tongues. And again, he's not saying there are angelic languages because the last time I looked, angels spoke to people in their what? Language. Didn't they? Otherwise, how would they understand them? And so he says, prophecy is better. Why? Because you can understand it. And so as we understand that, and the underlying issue is in view when we begin to see the application of this passage is intended to, 
to have the, the same reason the Corinthians were so highly esteeming the gift of tongues was due to the way, sorry. The Corinthians were highly esteeming the gift of tongues was due to the way it exalted the individual with the gift and was putting the individual on display. They valued it for all the wrong reasons. Gifts were given for the edification of the church and they wanted tongues because it put them in the spotlight. And so they thought that this was the greatest gift to have. They thought it was the one to go after. And because of that gift and because it displayed that they, they had the same problem that we saw earlier in the passage where, where some who had the gift were overestimating their importance and those who didn't have the gifts were underestimating their gift. And we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. And so they failed to realize the prize the real and ultimate goal of spiritual gifts, the edification of others and the building up of the body. They simply got it wrong. In stark contrast to the purpose of the gifts, the Corinthians appear to actually be more concerned about the building up of themselves, getting the limelight on them, exalting themselves, rather than the purpose of gifts, the edification of the church. And so, to be able to identify which gifts are greatest requires that, edi the edi that the edification of others be the overarching governing principle. And when it is a congregation as a whole, the oneness of mind will together esteem the greater gifts, not for the purpose of exalting a particular group or particular individuals or our own agenda, but with the ultimate view of the spiritual growth of the church. And so because we are many members, there's but one body. And the body has one goal, to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the stature of Christ, the man Christ, Ephesians 4.13. That is the goal of the church. And so, of course, that's all to the glory of God. And, and, and we will see that when Paul says, earnestly desire the greatest gifts, he isn't exhorting us as individuals to ask for gifts that we don't already have. He's not asking you to have gifts that you don't have or to give more gifts. He's calling for the congregation to come together in one mind and to esteem the gifts that are available and to measure them not based upon the greatness of the individual or how it lifts people up, but what leads to the edification of the church. And what will ultimately lead to the best facilitation and the best use of your spiritual gifts in the church. And so this morning we'll see four truths that really that are, are, that are necessary to ensure that we use our gifts properly. Four truths that will help us to use our gifts properly. 
So first notice with me in verse 27, really the need for one another to exercise our gifts. We could really call it that interdependence or mutual dependence that we need. We've been talking about mutual independence, mutual, not independence, whoa, wrong direction, dependence or interdependence. And so he says in verse 27, now you are Christ's body. Now that's interesting. That's interesting. You say, how so? I'm glad you asked. He says, he's speaking to the Corinthian church here, and he says, you are the body of Christ. He doesn't say you are a body of Christ. He doesn't say you are part of the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ. How is that? How is it? What is he saying? What, he say, what he's saying is the local church is a miniature representation of the body of Christ. In other words, you are a microcosm that represents the whole. You are a microcosm that represents the whole. In other words, everything for us here at Bowmanville Chap Baptist Church, we have everything here that we need to be built up in the Lord and arrive at maturity. The body isn't partly here, you know, part of the body is in part of the body is in Kingston, part of the bodies in Toronto he says actually when you get together you are a microcosm of the whole everything that you need for spiritual growth and development is right here in the walls of the local church everything that you need to be built up in the Lord and arrive at maturity is here there's not multiple bodies of Christ there's only one body and when we gather, we are a microcosm of the whole. We have the quality of the whole. And so we have Christ in us. He is, he is, we have the, the, the life of Christ in our body. And it is here to give us all that we need. And so we can be healthy and vibrant and, and thriving here together as a church. Because of that, we can grow to full maturity. There's nothing that we don't need, that we need. Sorry, I'll say that again. There's nothing that we need that we don't already have. That's good news. That good news. We have a tendency to go to church and we want to say, well, you know what? They don't have all the programs we need. We need a youth group. How are we going to keep the young people coming to church if we don't have a youth group? And, and we need, we need a, we, meals on wheels and we need this and we need that. And God says, actually, you have everything in this local body that you need for life and godliness and everything that the body needs to be is already here. 
Wow. He's already given the gifts that we need. And they're here. Now that does not mean that we don't, we're not willing to add those who come, right? It's not like, oh, hey, hey, we've, <laughs> we've got enough, right? And we certainly want to add those who come to salvation. And I, I'm praying and hoping that that's exactly what takes place here. As, you, as we go forth as a body and we share the gospel that, that God grants us fruit and we bring people into the church. And so we're not, we're not, we're not saying we're against church growth and we're not uh, against people coming. But what we're saying right now, here, right now, sitting in the pews, we have everything that God has given us and what we need to grow as a church. Everything that we need. Then you'll notice at the end of the verse, but the members may have the same, no, that's the wrong verse, verse 27, and individually members of it. We need the members we are all one body. We are the body of Christ, and each one of us is necessary. In other words, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the feet, I have no need of you. It doesn't matter what you think or feel. You still are part of the body, and you need to be here. Individually, you are part of that body. And so he says, listen, there is a mutual dependence. There is a, a necessary to recognize that we have all the gifting that we need together as we need, meet together and we need all the individuals that make up the church in order for it to function properly. Now again, I want us to understand we need to function as a body because all the pieces of the body must function which means we need to gather we need to gather and we need to gather because if you stay home and you sit behind your computer screen you're only going to get one gift right you're going to get the gift of teaching But there's no way that the rest of the body can service you and give you, exercise their gifts towards you when you're not present. And number two, you can't serve the church sitting at home. You can't exercise your gifts through the screen. You need to be with people gathered with the body. I defy you to come to church and leave your head at home. I'm just going to leave that one. But the reality is you wouldn't leave. You don't, you don't take your foot off and go to church. You don't take your hand off and go to church. And what makes you think that the body of Christ as it comes together is supposed to leave a hand or a foot or a toe or an arm at home? You leave that, trust me, you take your finger off and you leave it at home, it's going to be dead when you come home. Dead. Right? You don't separate the body. It cannot function properly. 
And so we are called to recognize that our dependence and interdependence is real and we need to gather to come together because that is where our gifts are exercised. Well, that was point one. (laughs) Here's the second truth that we need to recognize. There is a divine priority that is determined in gifts. There's a divine priority determined in gifts. He says in verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, and helps of administrations, and various kinds of tongues. And so he says, God has appointed in the church. This is that same word that was used earlier in verse 18. To appoint, to put by divine decree, God has placed in the church how he has seen fit. Those who are in the body, the gifts in the body. And so he says, first, second, third. And he begins, as we would say, putting the gifts here, and he's listing them, we would say, in priority. Now, as we get to the end of this list, he's really not trying to make a a final list, and he's not giving all the gifts, and he's not trying to prioritize them completely. But he is trying to give you the idea that there are gifts that are greater, gifts that God uses and have a greater impact upon the church and edifying of the church. And so he says there is this priority, there, there is an emphasis on gifts. And if you learn, and, and I'm just going to say this right at the top, if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't get confused by the weeds, his purpose here is to tell you that gifts are for the edification of the church and we should be looking towards that. We should be looking as a congregation. And and as he deals here, he's dealing with not just the local church, but also the universal church, because he says, and God has placed, or God has appointed in the church first apostles. Well, he's now outside of Corinth, or at least as we read that we're outside of Corinth, and how many apostles do we have here? Please do not raise your hands. (laughs) None. Right? So we know he's moving outside of the local church. And he says he has first appointed apostles. In other words, the first priority within the church and the first gift that God has given to the church is apostles. Now, what does he mean by apostles? Well, there are what we would call capital A apostles. We have the 12 minus 1 plus 1 and then plus another one, right? Paul appointed out of time. And so we have what we would call officially apostles who were appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who saw him from the baptism of John, who witnessed his ministry, who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We have Paul appointed out of time. And they were the official apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And through them, we would say that God exercised most of the spiritual gifts. 
right? Paul is speaking in tongues. Paul is giving scripture. He must have the gift of wisdom and knowledge because he's able to, to give it. He has the gift of teaching. He's doing miracles. We see that the miracles were what signs and wonders, the signs of the apostles, their healing. All of this stuff is a, is a demonstration of apostolic authority and who the apostles were. And we can identify those guys. They've got names. We can go through the list. Some of us can try to say Thaddeus, right? There's all kinds of them. And so we know who they are. And they were used by God to bring revelation to the church. They brought the word of God to the, to the church. They, they gave the foundation of the church. They laid that foundation. They gave authority to the church. And they were used by God through their ministries to affirm the, the message. And so they are the ones laying the foundation of the church. And we can call those the capital A apostles. They were the ones who, were, who, who are known through scripture. Yet, there are others who seem to be called apostles in scripture. Barnabas, James, were a couple who were called that. There were several others who were called small-a apostles. Now, Junius, Estillo, Adronicus, others were named, maybe not named in the New Testament, possessed the gift. And so they had the ability to give the word of God. They didn't have the authority that the, the, the uh, capital-A apostles had but they were able to give spiritual revelation to the church. They were able to do signs and miracles and prophecies. And so they were also men given to the church in the first century who had the ability to give some information to the church through the Holy Spirit. And so it's no we would say no surprise that, that he would put these ones first, right? They are apostles. They, these are the ones who laid the foundation of the church. We wouldn't argue with that. They had authority. And with their gifting, they would have the, the greatest impact on the church. They are the ones who would be able to edify the church the greatest because they're the ones who are giving us revelation. They're teaching on that revelation. They're affirming the message. They're doing all of these things. And we would, we would call them extraordinarily what? Gifted. Well, secondly, he says that God gave to the church not just what we would call apostles who had what we would call many spiritual gifts and maybe all of them exercised. There comes a second group of men that God has given to the church called prophets. Comes second in the list in Ephesians chapter 4 as well. Refers back to the same gift that was talked about in verse 10 where he talked about various kinds of tongues and an interpretation of tongues. And before that, in verse 10, to another, miracles and to another prophecy. In other words, there was a group of, of individuals in the New Testament, and there was a couple of women, I think I said just men last time, but there was a couple of, of women who prophesied, this daughters of Philip, I believe. And so there, 
their ability was there to what? To give revelation from God to the church. Now again, they were under the authority of the apostles. They, they answered to the apostles. They didn't have the authority of the apostles. But listen, their prophecy was, was authoritative. All right, their prophecy. The prophets weren't authoritative, but their prophecy was. And they, they again were under the leadership of the apostles. They submitted to the authority of the apostles but they had the ability to reveal the mind of God and to, to get revelation from him. And so you can see how they would now again with the apostles have an impact upon the church because they are again responding to the mind. They are appealing to the mind as they give, not babble to the church, but revelation that can be understood in words that people can understand. And so they revealed their truth to the church. And though they are related closely to the apostles, the prophets were not all apostles. In other words, apostles prophesied, but not all who prophesied were apostles. They didn't have the encounter with the incarnate Christ. They were not called with personal appointment by Christ. And so they, but they did give authoritative revelation from God. Now it also appears that the apostles had a wider ministry. They tended to move. Maybe we could argue that James stayed in Jerusalem, but they had a greater impact on the church and their teaching went abroad where prophets seemed to be more localized in their ministry, often in a local congregation. And we would have to say that there was prophets in, we would understand in Corinth, otherwise there's no use writing chapter 14. It seems maybe the prophets tended to be more practical than, than, and, and than the doctrinal revelation of the, of the apostles. But just like the prophets ended at the end of the Old Testament and they disappeared, so too the prophets ended at the end of the giving of the New Testament. And you might say, well, why is that? Why is that? Well, I would suggest to you that further special revelation would be derogatory and that it would imply that the written word of God was inadequate. Did you hear that? If there was still revelation today, what you're saying is that the word of God is what? Inadequate. It's not enough. Even though scripture says it's given us everything for life and godliness, we would be saying, yeah, but we need, we need more. Right? And there's a reason that God codified the word of God. Because men twist stuff, right? Men twist it. And each one of you here today can listen to what's said from this pulpit and you can look at the word of God and you can say like, wait a minute, right? It's right here, right? You're gonna have to argue from the New American Standard, of course, but <laughs> I'm teasing. But you've got it right here, right? You've got the word of God. You've got everything that you need. 
And so they are, the prophets are identified, remember. We're told that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. One foundation laid the work of the apostles and the prophets, and it is finished. Third, he says there's a third gift, and this is of individuals and teachers. And this is teachers, then by nature, we would say that these people have the gift of teaching. Makes sense? Sophist was not in the previous list. And so instruction has always been in the uttermost part of Paul's mind. He's always said that Christianity, think on these things. Right? He's always bringing us back. The renewing of the mind. He's talking about this all the time. He considered the intellect, intellectual grasp of the truths of the faith as vi- a vital prerequisite to acceptable Christian living and service. So it's not surprising to find right after the apostles and prophets for him to, to exalt the office of what? Teaching. To exalt the office of teaching, the gift of teaching, the responsibility of instructing the body of Christ. It didn't just fall on the apostles and prophets, right? They're gone now. But there were those who were in the church who were gifted at teaching the things that the apostles and prophets revealed. And unlike the apostles and prophets, they didn't prophesy. And their teaching is fallible. Right? I'm a teacher. I'll let you draw that conclusion. (laughs) Some of you are a little too quick. Um, So teaching didn't include getting special revelation from God, but it entailed a special ability to grasp these revelations, whether oral or written, and to communicate them effectively to listeners. And so again, these teachers were local to the local body. They taught the local body as the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of, of, the, of the revelation that was given by the apostles and prophets. And again, without any limit, without anything saying they're stopped, we, would, we know that teachers continue to today. In fact, in that list, Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he says there's evangelists and preachers and teachers, right? pastors and teachers and I would understand those are two groups there are pastors who are teachers but there's a pastors are a group of te- uh, a group of teachers out of the big group of teachers and so there are those who are not elders in the church who are able to teach right we have Sunday school classes don't we we have those who teach in, in different areas and actually we're all called to teach aren't we We are all called to instruct those in our lives in the truths of the word of God and to call people to to obedience to the word of God. You, You are all a teacher in some sense. These teachers were public public teachers. It was a necessity for a elder to have this gift. He has to have the gift of teaching. If he doesn't have the gift of teaching, he's not an elder, flat out. He cannot be an elder if he can't teach. Timothy tells us he must be what? Gifted at teaching. Because he is the one who is to reveal the mind of God through scripture and he must be able to communicate that 
in a public ministry. So he says this, all right? And God appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. And then he uses this little word then, kind of continuing on in order. Then he says, miracles, miracles. Then miracles, Mir- or miraculous power. Now you might think that's a pretty big one miracles right but that's fairly related to to the apostles they they gave miracles but the idea was that they there were some who were gifted with the ability to do miraculous things close we would say closely related to the gift of faith closely related to healing or healing would be part of miracles Again, mostly performed by the apostles. We would probably only, I think we only recorded Stephen and Philip as actually doing miracles outside of the apostles. But men who were specifically with the power to heal people immediately and fully, right? Immediately and fully. There's none of this, he picked up his bed slowly and carefully and dawdled off with his cane, right? He picked up his bed and what? Walked. People came back and they were, their blindness was healed. Their limbs were complete. It was immediate, it was full, and it was permanent. And again, we know this, that these miracles, this temporary gift was given in the first century, again, to be a What? confirmation of the message that was given it was a confirmatory gift it could edify the church as they see God working and his miraculous power but its primary gift was ultimately to confirm so he says miracles, then he says the gift of healing, which is really a sub, subgroup of miracles. It's a type of miracle. We talked about that. I mean, again, performed by the apostles, the gift of verification along with miracles worked by the apostles. And then he says this, the gift of helps, the gift of helps. It means to take one's burdens on oneself in the place of another is literally what it means. It's translated, its counterpart in Romans chapter 12. It's used of the gift of ministry or service. Acts 20, 35, and everything I showed you by working hard in this manner that you must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that he said to himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You must help the weak. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit also, what? Helps our weaknesses. He takes our burden in this. And so we are called, there's this gift called the gift of helps. And we could say in, in some way, in a general way, every single gift is a gift of helps. But more specifically here, he's speaking of a gift that helps all kinds of physical health and relief that is needed by people 
In other words, this gift of helps is primarily a physical earthly gift as opposed to a spiritual gift. In other words, it's coming alongside people and helping them. We saw that the nature of this need in Acts 6, where they needed people to arrange the tables and serving at meals. It's used to serve widows and orphans and sick and strangers, travelers. Whatever temporal or physical demand is present. In contrast to speaking gifts, which cater more to the inner spiritual need, this gift helps of helps is more of an out in the outward areas. areas. And so he says there's this gift given to the church where you are to what? Help others. It's something that is supernaturally empowered where you have the desire to what? Help others. To help them in their physical needs, to help them in their temporal needs. And is really, this is a prerequisite for being a deacon. This is a gift that a deacon needs to have. This needs to be what he does. This is, in essence, part of his DNA. God has gifted him in a way where he walks in and he sees needs and he meets those needs and he seeks to help others. Now, for the Corinthian church, this, this was not on their top priority, right? They want to speak in tongues. They want to be seen. And this gift is primarily done what behind the scenes. Nobody sees. If I come to your house and I fix your light bulbs and change your fixtures, nobody will know that I did it. And so it's going to take some love for that individual for that gift to be exercised. Only love can motivate one to serve others behind the scenes. And we are called to serve. And I will say this, when you hear of people doing this and you see people doing this, nothing brings joy to your heart more than when you see this. Really. You, you see somebody helping others and you hear of it and you rejoice. And our church is full of this. I could go down, I'm tempted to just go down and tell you what everyone does, but we are short on time. <laughs> but the reality is, is that the, the body is serving its, one another and we have the group serving one another in ways that many of you may not even be aware of. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that I don't, that it's not on me to do everything. It's it, the body working together and so many people are serving behind the scenes and it is so encouraging to my heart. And I hope it's encouraging to you to see the love that is demonstrated through this gift in our church. And so he says, there's the gift of helps. Then he comes down and he says, well, there's the gift of administration. It's not another first gift that he hasn't listed in the book yet. You, we could say ad, administration or governments. Uh, Romans 12, 8 counter, counters this part by calling it he who leads. And this is the special ability includes administration, directorship, a matter of external organization related to the body of Christ. This word is used of a skilled pilot who is piloting a ship. 
It, there's the notion of being shrewd and wise and direct in discretion and, and is entailed in this word. This Greek word is also the source of the English word cybernetics. The science relating to the nature of the brain and its government of the body. And he says, though there are those who have been gifted with this. And though this ministry may be frequently accompanied by natural ability, its, its, its power comes not from mere natural insights, but from the Holy Spirit. The capability is supernatural, and the Holy Spirit is the source. And he says, there are those who've been gifted in the church who have leadership's ability, who are able to discern practically and spiritually the, some of the things that need to be done in the church, and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I found this statement interesting, and this is not mine. A leadership, leaderless congregation never has been and is not God's concept of the Christ of Christ's body. I'm going to read that again. A leadership a leaderless maybe I'll just read it the same as I did the first time. A leadership leaderless whoa. Maybe I won't. A leaderless congregation never has been or is not God's concept of Christ's body. He intends it to be led. He has put people in the church and gifted them in leadership and direction of the church. And again, this is, is, is again what the Holy Spirit endorses. It's what he has given to the church and he has given capable leaders. And this is one of the things that is necessary again for eldership in the church. And so it is effective in mobilizing ministry within the church. Doesn't, it's not restricted to elders, but the elders could use it. Same with deacons. Right? Same, same with Sunday school teachers and Sunday school superintendents. We need the ability to organize and to lead and set a direction. And so after all of these gifts and all of this time, Paul finally comes to this last gift here, various kinds of tongues. Now he places it here for, I think, two reasons. He places it last. First of all, this is all the trouble that's being caused in the Corinthian church. This is the one they've desired. This is the one that's causing the divisions. This is the one causing the hoopla. But secondly, this gift is the only gift upon which its use is useless to the church for edification. It's the only gift of all of the gifts that's dependent on another gift in order for it to be useful. And I think that's exactly what Paul's point is. Is the fact that tongues is forbidden without an interpreter. You can't use it without an interpreter and it is useless on its own and yet to edify the church. And yet this is where the Corinthians have been. They have elevated this to the top and said, this is the one that we want. This is the one that we need. This is the one that makes you in the in-group. And Paul says, you have forgotten what gifts are about. In God's list, 
if we're being honest and we understand that the gifts are given for the edification of the church, this is last. It's not first, it's last. And he's saying to the Corinthians, understand the proper priorities in in gifts. God has laid out what is more important and you need you as a congregation, not you as individuals, but you as a congregation need to value the gifts that edify the church the most. You need to value the gifts that edify the church the most. God has put a priority on them. You need to recognize that. And then he says in verse 29, diversity is essential. Here's what you need to know about gifts. Diversity is still essential. I know that God has said that there are gifts that have a greater impact because of their ability to edify the church. And that's why he starts with teaching because a teaching tends to lift us up spiritually and it is the impact like we're sitting here, all of us are getting the same thing. We're reaching everybody who's awake here, right? If I, if I help you in your home, I'm helping you and only you see it. But the teaching of the word tends to be public and it tends to be getting the whole group and therefore it tends to have the greatest impact on edifying the body. And yet in spite of that, he says diversity is necessary. Don't get lost. Don't don't somehow think that your gift is lesser. Don't think that it's not necessary. Don't think that you're not necessary. He says, are all all apostles, are they? That's a rhetorical question. No, of course not. Are all teachers, are all prophets, are they? No. Are they all teachers, are they? No. Are all are not workers of miracles, are they? No. They knew that. All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? Of course not. Again, limited primarily to the apostles. All do not speak with tongues. No, it was the exception. It was the exception. All do not interpret, do they? No. If everybody interpreted, what do we need interpreters for, right? Because everybody would understand. And he says, listen, understand this. All the gifts that God has given to the church are necessary, and we need all of the gifts functioning in their their manner in which God has intended them to be used. So recognizing the priority of gifts, he says, remember that though that every single gift is essential to the functioning of the church. So don't despise or jettison some because you somehow now have a, a recalibrated view of what gifts are. The gifts that you've been given are, are you required to exercise for the edification of the church. Like I said, can you imagine if we all had the gift of teaching? Right? (laughs) You think this sermon is long, right? 
<laughs> Wait till we're all through, right? Better bring a lunch. We need all of the gifting, right? For the church. And then Paul ends this section and he says, pursue edification in love. Pursue edification in love. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now this has caused theologians fits because they, they, want, they, they say, well, man alive, how can we desire gifts that God has already given us? He's already given us gifts. It just seems wrong that you would tell someone to desire gifts. I mean, that just goes against everything that Paul's just said. Paul said that God has distributed them as he well. The Holy Spirit's distributed them as well. God has distributed. How can this be? So some have said, well, this form is the same as in the indicative as, as in the imperative, which means it's a statement of fact. It's not actually a command. So he's not commanding them to seek spiritual gifts. He's just saying, you do seek the greatest gifts, and that's the problem. That could be. But this same word is used in chapter 14 twice in the imperative, where he tells them to seek and so it would seem, he says, pursue love in 14.1. Again, an imperative. This same word is used in the imperative in those sections. So it would seem to me, at least as I read this passage, that this is actually an imperative. And he is saying, now listen to this. You congregation pursue the greater gifts. In other words, after being recalibrated together, you as a church should be seeking the gifts that edify the body the most. Instead of seeking after tongues and being self-centered and wanting to be exalted, you as a body must recognize what is important in God's agenda for the edification of the body. And therefore, you must pursue those things and make sure that those things are put in their proper order. And I trust that is exactly what is taking place here at Bowmanville Baptist Church, that we have a priority and we recognize what edifies the church the most and that we pursue those and make sure that they're happening. Now, we want all of them to be happening and we want all the gifts to be, to be exercised, but we also recognize the importance of what God has said is, is the most edifying for the church and he starts with teaching. And that's why when you come to Bowmanville Baptist Church, we want to drown you in Bible. Because that's the best thing for the edification of the church, of building it up. This is how we build you up spiritually. This is how we get you to be mature in Christ, is through the word of God. And a congregation grows in exactly to the measure in which they sit under the teaching of the word of God. Of course, followed by the Holy Spirit's conviction and change in you. But it is the word of God. And so this is why here we prioritize that. And we want to continue to prioritize the things that God prioritizes so that the church is built up. And I would suggest to you that in teaching, this is where we learn how to do your helps. How do I help you in a way that's biblical? Hey, 
We teach you that, right? How do, I, how do I have the gift of mercy? How do I exercise all of these other gifts? Well, I have to actually know what God says about what is right and wrong in order for me to be able to exercise them in a way that's pleasing to him. And so he says, you as a church desire the things that edify the church. Those are the greater gifts, not the showy ones, but the ones that actually build people into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some commentators, and it's been fashionable for them to change the end of verse 31 into the next paragraph. But going with the USB 4, which is <laughs> the Greek text, I would understand that the end of verse 31, it goes with this section. And he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. And Paul's about to launch into chapter 13, into the, the whole area of what? The chapter of love. And he says, this is what's necessary. In other words, you need to seek the primary gifts and to the, the edification of the body, and you need to do it in a better way. In other words, you need to do it through love. And ultimately, you will never seek the edification of the body until you have come to grips with love. God's love for you, God's love flowing through you to others. And that is what is necessary in order for you to exercise your gifts to the edification of the body. And so he says, edify one another. It must be based in what? Love. And he's going to spend the whole next chapter just talking about love. This is the only way in which you will exercise your gifts to the edification of the body. And so this morning... Again, Paul has given us these four truths that we, that, so that we might exercise our gifts in the greatest and the most strategic way. That we don't just come out and start throwing things around, but recognizing that, first of all, the gifts are exercised together. Not out there, here. This is your primary spot. Together, gather exercise your spiritual gifts to one another recognize the priority that God has set forth God has has put certain gifts that are better for for the edification of the church recognize those don't throw them away Recognize that there is an essential diversity in the church. So don't be, don't be disparaging other gifts. But we need all of them being exercised. And then ultimately, pursue edification in love. This is how that can take place. And so next week, we will go through, we will start, we will start through, we're not going to get finished. Love. The motivation for our edification and the, the use of our gifts. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its richness. We thank you for its truths. 
And I pray that you would help us to be a church that grasps these truths about spiritual gifts and that we would be those who would exercise our gifts, recognizing as a church the proper priority. And that we would recognize the diversity and yet exercise our gifts for the building up of the body because we have been filled with the love of God and it has permeated us. So I pray that you would make Bowmanville Baptist Church a light on a hill to the praise of the glory of your grace, I pray. Amen.